Welcome to Through the Trauma Podcast. My name is Amber Larkins, published photographer, storytelling expert, visual artist, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach. This podcast was born from one question. How do I get inspiring stories of triumph out to the people who need to hear them the most? Come with me, enter my world where lives are getting changed, heroes are getting developed, and greatness is being achieved. Welcome to Through the Trauma Podcast. I am Amber Larkin, your host, and today I have with me Mr. John A. Brink. John is a war veteran that came from Nazi-occupied Holland. He was in the Second World War, and he has an amazing story of the hardship that both him and his siblings have undergone, has some amazing insights, and he is going to share those with us today. So, John, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks, Amber. Nice to be on the show. And you have your own podcast as well. What is your podcast about? It's uh, Our podcast is uh, On the Brink, and it goes to a wide variety of issues uh, uh, from anything that you can imagine around the world. Uh, so I've done about 175 podcast and uh you know we do about 13 to 15 a month and then we are guests probably on another four and uh they, the topics go uh all across the board from business to trauma like yours is uh, to all kinds of uh, other thing adhd uh entrepreneurship uh uh and other, other all issues uh i had a good podcast uh, on friday it's a fellow that uh, has focused his life on wildcraft. Uh, you will like this uh, wildlife for photography. Amazing, amazing artist. Uh, that podcast was done, uh, I think, on Thursday. It came out actually yesterday. We had released it. Uh, nice. you know, amazing photographs. You know, so and so whatever is of interest to people that approach us, or we approach them. Uh, you know the. Uh, yeah, so that's what we do right across the board. And you're, you've been very successful, even given the hardship, which we'll get into. Um, and then you're also an author, which you sent me some awesome books that I haven't had a chance to get into yet. But uh, Finding Correct. Your Passion, Living the Dream is one of the Correct. books. The ADHD Unlocked and Correct. Against All Odds, which is Correct. here. So if you look on the video, you can see these. But um, tell us a little bit about your books. Uh, so the first one that I wrote, uh, you know, the and I have to tell you a little bit of background, if you don't mind, uh, to yeah. put some uh, base around it. So I was born November the 4th, 1940, in northeastern Holland. Uh, Holland was invaded by the uh, German armies in a, a blitzkrieg in April of 1940. My dad... Uh, uh, was drafted into the Dutch army. And the last time that anybody saw him was in the bombing of Rotterdam that killed thousands of people. Uh, you know, then for five years, they would not know if he had survived uh, or if he was dead or alive. Uh, my mom had, uh, I obviously was born in November, November the 1st, uh, uh, 1940, which tomorrow is uh, my 83rd birthday. And uh, I had a sister one year older and a brother two years older. And uh, so it was, 
a tough go and uh, we talk about that a little bit more uh, later but uh, you know so the Canadian Army liberated us on April the 12th 1945 it made such an impression on me that I knew from that point forward I would always go I would go to Canada the land of my heroes uh, and also, also during that period uh, no surprise to anybody is that it got pretty rough during the world uh, during the war years uh, uh, hunger uh, was commonplace cold was commonplace and anxiety uh, planes overhead and uh, obviously left me with uh, PTSD the inner child I got counseling for actually when I was well into my 50s and uh, and we saw far too many things that we should not have seen and uh, you know so uh, but then finally I, I emigrated to Canada when I was 24 uh, you know, and the other part that I should add to it, as you wondered about the second book, ADHD, is that I failed grade three and I failed grade seven three times. And then uh, uh, they said, what are you going to do with this guy? Should we send him to the mentally challenged school or do we get him a job? Fortunately, my parents were beautiful people. They got me a job to train as a furniture maker. I would find out much, much later, actually, when I was uh, 1997, when I was virtually 57 years old, when I walked into a store here in Prince George and I saw a book and I opened the book, I still don't know why. As I opened the book, the title of the book was Driven to Distraction and it, and it was about ADHD. And I said, oh my God, that's me. And so I bought a copy of the book and I wrote in it in Dutch now I finally know who I am because I was ashamed of it. Already I was starting to build a business and the business got bigger and bigger and bigger. And everybody would say to me, coming back to my first book, I said, you got to write a book about all of this. And, uh, and so for 20 years, I tried to write the book, started with it, stopped with it, started with it, stopped with it, on and on and on. Until about five years ago, I said, if I don't do it now, it will never happen. So I wrote the book against all odds and uh, you know the autobiography and as we all well know is that writing books is not easy and so uh, and if you write an autobiography you better do it right the first time because you cannot kind of throw it away and say I'll do it all over again so it's, uh, it took me 80 years to live it 20 years to think about it two years to write it and the book has become very, very successful, actually, on all major media. It is in audio as well. And uh, that was followed uh, by another book that I wrote then about two and a half, two years ago, three years ago. And that was about ADHD unlocked. And the more I found out about ADHD, the more I found that the frequency of occurrence according to most people, was about 8% of the population. I believe it is much more than 20%. And, and so I felt I had an obligation to talk about it more, which I did, and then to write about it. So the book that I wrote is ADHD Unlocked. It's not only for people that have ADHD, but also what I say for people that are exposed to trauma and that as a result, they'll be slow learners or do not usually 
do well in the traditional learning environments. And then, because the frequency of occurrence is so large, I say it is virtually in anybody's life, you will encounter ADHD or slow learning in some form or fashion uh, because of trauma or other issues. And, uh, you know, so I recommend that people that read this, A, are the ones ADHD unlocked, but also people affected by trauma or for people in a general sense that you will encounter people like that ADHD in particular that uh, in your direct circle, your friends or the working environment and uh, it will, ADHD people tend to be a little bit different and uh, it will help you to understand them. So very, very interesting way that you have taken this trauma that you've undergone as a youth and grew up in really and you've transformed it into something amazing because you're doing so much to help people. So I want to get into and maybe have you expand a little bit more on what that was like as a kid, like growing up in those kinds of conditions uh, in, in World War II, what was, what must that have been like? Yeah, especially now, Amber, where around the world we have wars, maybe the Ukraine or Israel and, and other areas where currently people are exposed to war. And uh, the first thing that I always say, uh, Remembering Day is on November the 11th. And what I usually do and have done for the last 10 to 12, 13 years, I usually speak at different schools in our area here and Northern British Columbia, where we live in Prince George, Northern British Columbia, but throughout the province of British Columbia and on the internet about uh, you know the experiences of being uh, exposed to war and all the other bad things that are surrounding it. And so I'd usually make a point to speak to at least four different schools because I believe I have an obligation to talk about it in terms of what the experience was, but also why two minutes of silence? What does it really mean? And uh, so I usually have already four or five years lined up ahead that, uh, you know, it's quite popular. Uh, I'm also a professional speaker and uh, to do that. And uh, I believe I have an obligation in doing that. So coming back to your question, what was it like? It's again, remembering that, uh, you know, I was not even born when the war started and we were a young, young family, but it was just my mom and three kids. So it was difficult for them. And then what I remember from probably the time that I was three and a half, four years old, is that at the time that the Allied forces were bombing Germany to end the war, uh, they would fly in the areas where we lived in Northern Holland to if they came from England to be over water to avoid flak from the ground. And so we would have virtually on a daily basis, we would have hundreds of planes in the air. The sound of that alone is something I as a little kid still remember, and there is nothing like it and, and likely we'll ever see again, I hope. You know, so the other part that I remember is that uh there was always a sense of anxiety by my mother in particular 
uh, there were very other people around, but everybody had their own issues, meaning survival. And so you were pretty much on your own if you had to try to stay alive uh, with a young, small family. So there was always this sense of anxiety and some that people will understand is that if even for young kids and three, four years old or even younger than that, if they, their, their primary caregiver, if there is anxiety in the air, they will feel that and that will stay with them. And so it always did with me in a sense. And then the other part is that uh, when we were, uh, the toughest time was what we called the hunger winter of 1944-45, when the Germans had stopped having food delivered to big parts of Holland. And at the same time, uh, you know, there was hunger. And, uh, you know, so we would, as kids, uh, go with gunny bags uh, every morning to the railroad yards, find anything that was edible or be eatable and, and, and burnable. So, uh, and, and so I still, from that point forward, still remember hunger. Even now, I can still feel it in my body, the feeling of hunger. And the same cold, it was the coldest winter on record, was 1944-45. A lot of, especially vulnerable young kids and all the people died during that period. And then the actual liberation when the Canadians came in and it created a sense of no man's land where the Germans that were getting that were fleeing on their way to the border. We were about 20 minutes from the German border. They had nothing left. And, uh, you know, they uh, uh, stole all the bikes that they could get and blew up the bridges behind them, but also were spooked easily by people. So I always remember several people being killed. They were laying on carts with legs and hands sticking out. And then I remember a neighbor, he was shot through his eye, came out of the other, and we saw that. And and it kind of stays with you then. And, uh, you know, so uh, it was a difficult time. And then, uh, but other people don't always fully appreciate is that, you know, that when the war is over, May 5th was the liberation in Holland, uh, then, uh, you know, there may be a thought by some of our listeners that, okay, the war is over, so everything is back to normal. No, it isn't. You know, like families like ours, for instance, uh, I don't think my dad had been gone for five years and uh, he was uh, nearly killed a number of times. And I'd, so the relationship never got back to where it was at one time. And, uh, you know, so, and obviously PTSD followed. And then it takes a long time before things get back to, if you wish, a sense of normal. It could take a generation, sometimes longer. And that's the fear that I have now looking at the Ukraine, looking at Israel and all those other kind of places. It's something that I think a lot of people can't really even wrap their minds around what that's even like, especially here in America. I don't think that we have experienced anything like, quite like that to that extreme. We live in scary times and it just because we've never experienced it doesn't mean that we can't ever. And um, I do think that it's something that we definitely need to stay attentive to because 
there's so many areas of the world where it, even now, like you said, these, the wars that's going on now, little kids are affected by this. So you were a kid when this happened and you fleed. And then later in life, you become a, a soldier yourself. Correct. Yeah. I, I was drafted by uh, the Dutch uh, Air Force mm -hmm. and was uh, in special forces for 30 months. Mm -hmm. And then we're nearly drafted into, we were on the verge of being sent to, in the Dutch uh, New Guinea, uh, which was then uh, overran by uh, Indonesia. Uh, we were leaving the following week and I didn't quite get there. But uh, yeah, indeed, uh, you know, I was uh, in the uh, Dutch uh, Air Force and, uh, you know, so in, in, in a warlike setting at some point. Yeah. Was this hard as far as having those, having that trauma as a child and then moving into actually doing this for a profession, was there triggers and things that popped back up after your experiences as an adult? The interesting thing about that, Amber, is a good, good question, is that, that those feelings never leave you. It's always the anxiety that I then felt from my parent and, and the uh, inner child. The inner child stayed with me until I was well into my 50s. And so was then all part of that emotion internally. And then the other part seeing far too much that you should not have seen. And then, and especially being trained in the warlike setting, especially being in special forces, and, uh, you know, that uh, it, it must have been something that indirectly I did not relate it to it, but it still stays with me even now, you know, that, uh, you know, I'm still sensitive to it. So it did, but exactly it did. I'm not, not exactly sure, but... Uh, uh, I, I still have that feeling about, uh, you know, the, uh, and, and maybe that's why it's so important to me to, there are not many people left that uh, had experience in the Second World War. And uh, for me as a young person, it is important for me to share with other young people here that have been so fortunate, not directly having been exposed to a warlike setting to share with them how fortunate we really are and how quickly things can change. So that's usually what I do. Why, why the silence? Why are we doing that? And what does it really mean? And what should it mean to even the young people that are my guests? And, uh, you know, in a lot of times schools that I speak to I have 700 students and, uh, a lot of times initially, there was a fear of saying, well, you know, you have 700 students there that they probably can't be quiet that long. You could hear a pen drop. They, they understand and uh, how fortunate we are. Overnight, everything can change. You know, everything around you can change. You know, so all the things that we take for granted. That's why it is so important that uh, A, we are aware and that, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, we show compassion, uh, you know, for war is bad, you know, bad for everybody. And, uh, you know, so, and, and extremely unfortunate, uh, you know, that these things happen 
and uh, you know, but uh, it uh, yeah does affect people. But for me, I still have an obligation directly relating to that period uh, of uh, having to talk about it, and in terms of making our young people aware of being appreciative of living where we are living, either in North America, really, you know, Canada mm-hmm. and the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just being grateful about life in general. I mean, about everything that you can be grateful for. And I think sometimes as we grew up in cultures where we've never experienced anything like that, it's very easy to fall into this like complaining or things doesn't go my way. And breaking it for granted, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yep. Taking it for granted and then feeling like if things are not perfect, you, you're giving the, the go ahead to complain. And I just, I feel like there's a shift that begins to happen in people when they can take that gratefulness and be, choose gratefulness over complaining. Um, and I see that a lot in our, in our culture and it concerns me a lot. And I think that, I think that a lot of trauma comes from the mentality of exactly. So for those of you who are listening, yeah, he's holding up, find your passion, live your dream. (laughs) And and saying, uh, you know, and, and so when I came to Canada, you know, I want to, I didn't feel that I had been successful because I left school when I was 14 and uh, a lot of my friends went to college and on to university and I became a laborer and, and I admired it now, but then it was kind of looked down on and, uh, you know, and I was very good at what I was doing and then very quickly already was quite successful in Holland, but then I felt I had to prove to me, not anybody else, that I was equal to uh, all the other guys and girls that were successful had gone to college and university. And, uh, but I wanted to find out if that were the case. So I left Holland in July of 1965 when I was 24 years old with a suitcase, two sets of clothes, uh, three books and 150 Canadian dollars. I couldn't speak the language, didn't know soul, didn't have a job. And on my way to, I wanted to build a lumber mill. And uh, so the place to go would have been British Columbia. And so I flew into Montreal, took the train across Canada. Uh, my God, that's a long way to go. Uh, I'll know from the States. And, uh, you know, so then when I arrived, uh, arrived in Vancouver, Canada, I went to the immigration office. Fortunately, there was a German fellow there and I could speak some German. So I told him what I wanted to do. I wanted to build a lumber mill. He said, Prince George. Prince George is about 500 miles north of Vancouver. It is, British Columbia is a beautiful province, and it's right in the middle of the province. From north to south, east to west, 500 miles is halfway. And, uh, you know, so I arrived here. Have you got my sign there? And I arrived here. And I came off the bus and, uh, you know, so, uh, and as I started, got off the bus, I had my suitcase, my two sets of clothes, the three books. And then I had in my pocket and my employees gave me this. I had, this is a sign. I had $25 and 47 cents, but I, what I did have is attitude. I'm, I'm, a, the glass is always half full for me. 
And if it is a bad day today, I'll swear it's much, much better tomorrow. Passion is that I love what I'm doing and everything that I do, I give it 120%. And then work ethic. I work harder than anybody and but will follow is success. And so my, give that to me. So, uh, so with the $25.47, uh, you know, I wanted to build, start from that point and, and build my career. So within a, within a year and a half, I was a superintendent of one of the largest sawmills here. Within two years, I was part owner of a sawmill and owned a, a motel. And within 10 years, I built a company called uh, Brink Force Products, part of the Brink group of companies. And we have 10 companies uh, and uh, all around uh, British Columbia and uh, employ normally around 400 people. And uh, so, and then I'm obviously an author, uh, you know, the, uh, and, uh, you know, so, uh, and I feel much better about myself now in regards to my grade seven uh, uh, failing <laughs> because it was ADHD. And then the other part about ADHD is that for all those people that uh, are, how I, are blessed with it because I call it a superpower. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, and so hence, a lot of people say to me, how can you do all these things? You're writing books, you podcast, and you're doing these companies and all the others. I say ADHD. That's why. And I love yeah. it. Yeah, I, I love it too. And I think, again, that's just one of the things that shows your personality and, and your determination, how you take something that is deemed as in culture as negative, like ADHD. And you said, this is who I am. I've embraced it and I've chose to use it for fuel basically, which has helped you become very successful from where you came from to where you are today is super successful. I did, I didn't get a chance to read the books, but I did thumb through there and just looking at the images that you have in these books shows the, the, the amount of success that you've had. Can you talk to us a little bit about that success and what that was like having come from such a dark place as a child to then growing into something that is not only successful, success is defined differently by different people, but you're not only not only successful in the sense of you've grown these companies, but you're successful in the sense of you are now educating other people. You're pulling other people out of their own trauma, making people aware of these different types of trauma, making them more empathetic and loving and, and understanding of people that's been through trauma. So in my eyes, I consider that success. But can you talk a little bit about what that was like? Like what, what are your thoughts about that? At what point did you determine that I'm, I've kind of made this success a thing? I've turned my life around. So what became already very important to me is that I admired our liberators. Uh, Holland mainly was uh, liberated, uh, although the Allied forces liberated Europe. Uh, the Canadians in particular pushed through northern Holland and uh, or most of Holland. And so I was so impressed by them that uh, I always knew from that point forward 
that someday I would go to the lands of my heroes. And, uh, you know, and, and I did that when I was 24 years old. And then the other part was the dream that I'm equal to everybody. It's not just my, that I left school at the age of 14, but that uh, I had abilities as well. And I had to prove that to myself starting all new again and the land of my dreams was again very important to me and uh you know and then obviously the forest industry is uh, something that i was trained in as a furniture maker and uh, my dad managed a small lumber company so i wanted to build my own company so i did all of that and i proved to myself not to anybody else that i could do it then uh you know the Obviously, when I found that ADHD was something that uh, I was big time ADHD and the effect of that was an opening for me. And then, you know, the building the companies, uh, you know, uh, it's always difficult to get something off the ground. And a lot of people say to me, how did you get it off the ground? How did you get it started? So I like talking about entrepreneurship. I do give lots of presentations about that. Uh, all over the place. And, uh, you know, so what is the most important and the most rewarding thing for me is I've been very, very involved in, I grew up in an era in, in the land of, of culture in Holland. Uh, you know, that culture is giving back to the community to me has always been very, very important. And I've done that throughout my life, even was that not all that much that I could do financially over the years. I've been able to do more and that to me is very, very important. And then the companies are successful, but to me, making a lot of money has never been the priority to me. Success to me is uh, building companies that, uh, you know, contribute to society as a whole and obviously are also successful financially, but, uh, you know, but, uh, and, but being an inspiration to others to me has always been important and hence the book, uh, against all odds is not about success, but it's from all the going through all the ups and downs. What made me successful with others at Wooden likely is uh, determination to keep going, never give up and still even today in the economy, there's probably in the last 50 years, it's nearly 50 years that I've been in business. Uh, you know, this is probably the most difficult period that we have gone through collectively. I do a lot of business in North America. I, uh, you know, the, amazingly to a lot of uh, uh, our friends in the United States of America, we watch you guys very, very closely. And so I'm very familiar with your political uh, system and, and, and the business and the econo economics and all of that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, and uh, a lot of times what happens to me, Amber, uh, if I fly over Canada and, 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 and the United States as well, you know, I look outside and I say, it's paradise. It is paradise. And I do a lot of flying. I'm also a pilot, but, uh, you know, a commercial flight. I used to sit by the window and I look outside and say, it's paradise. That's simply how lucky we are. And so mainly what has been important to me is, uh, you know, being part of the community, giving back to the community and, uh, you know, and, and building successful businesses has never been the primary objective of being making a whole lot of money and 
and God knows what else, you know, like, yeah. But that's, that's been the most rewarding to me. You do a lot of, on your podcast, you do speaking, do you do coaching as well? Yeah, I do coaching indirectly, uh, you know, by, uh, I may uh, be a guest lecturer at some, uh, a lot of the uh, universities and at the colleges that uh, ask me to speak to different topics, uh, uh, usually entrepreneurial related, business related, but also other topics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what? What would be your top advice to give, say, someone who is entrepreneurial or aspiring to be an entrepreneur? Very good question. So I, I did, one of the last presentations I did about six months ago, I was on a panel and, and, and speaking about entrepreneurial ships and all the other things. And we had guests that are people there that wanted to ask the panelists and, uh, you know, and, and make submissions to them and, and look for feedback. And so this one fellow said that, uh, you know, he was an entrepreneur and he had some ideas and, uh, you know, and he wanted to start a business and then he made a proposal to the bank and they turned him down. So in his opinion, the problem was the banks and the financial institutions. And I said, okay, what did you do then? But he said, uh, you know, it obviously doesn't work anymore. So I said, let me give you an example. When I started in 1975, I had no money and I made, I put together a business plan that was fairly detailed, still works today, actually, amazingly, 50 years later. And I went to every single bank in our community, in our region, got turned down by every one of them and ended up with two of them at the end. And I want to them not to hound them or be negative, but keep asking for what else can I do to improve my proposal? The problem was I lacked equity. Uh, I had a good proposal. I had the experience, but I did not have the equity, meaning money. I couldn't find any partners uh, going into the business. So the one bank I went to probably 12 times, different times, make changes again. And then I always remembered like just today, it was in early 1975, January, February, March, whatever it was. I went into the bank and the manager of the bank was sitting about six cubicles away from where the fellow was sitting that looked at my proposal again. And I was looking for $25,000 to start my lumber company. And I still remember like just today, they in the distance I hear, give him the money, give him the money. The point that I'm making is simply determination, never give up. And too many people give up too quickly. That would be one advice. The second one be, is that if you have ideas, bounce up by entrepreneurial people that have been successful. Most of them, you, you may think, well, they don't want to listen to me. That's not so because most entrepreneurs that have gone through this, love to help people that have ideas. And if you ask to go for a coffee with them or whatever, or to take a half an hour of their time, in most cases, I would suggest that that will uh, reward. Read their books, that's another one. Go to their presentations. I did that already when I was young, before I came here. I would go to listen to people that made presentations in the, in, 
the amazing thing about it was in a lot of times this continuity, but made them su su successful is all the same trademarks. They never give up determination, persistence, and they stay the course. Now, the other part about it, I have to add, became I became much more aware of it much later in life, after 1960, or when I was 60, is that a lot of the entrepreneurs that are successful in business, ADHD. It is. So where we now, we are applying, we have uh, looking for uh, new employees in our company, and and uh, in especially on uh, in one particular case, we are looking for uh, production managers. So we have an advertisement going out all across Canada, maybe U.S. as well. Is that we're looking for a production manager? We lay out the qualifications that we are looking for, and then we add to the bottom of it, ADHD considered to be an asset. And mm -hmm. the first time that anybody advertised that virtually going across the world. And I mean that sincerely is that, uh, you know, so I'm working on ADHD is a bonus. It's a benefit. It's not an, a, a liability. Mm. So when you're talking about ADHD in this sense, are you talking about someone who would be diagnosed with ADHD, or I know you touched on earlier that ADHD is also um, what you would consider someone who's, who has gone through trauma, or you would consider that book being purpose purposeful for someone who's gone through trauma. Would you use those two things simultaneously, or, or are you speaking? So let me say this, Amber, is that I'm not a medical doctor and I cannot give medical advice. I'm not trying to do that. That then coming to the points that I'm making is simply saying that uh, a person that has ADHD is the benefit that I have. I have great capacity. I'm uh, usually excited about the things that I do, and I can do a lot of things all at the same time. And uh, But one of the challenges that I had when I was in the schools, uh, the, the a lot of times when I was there, I was not preoccupied by all the mundane things that I had no interest in. Uh, I believe the same could well happen to uh, people that have been exposed to trauma. I'm not suggesting that they are ADHD, but simply because of the fact that uh, they have been exposed to trauma, they would not be uh, you know, as easily captured by sitting in the school for the next four years, listening to a whole lot of things that they will never use again. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in my case, uh, a lot of times mentally, I was really not even there. If somebody asked me, uh, you know, you sat in school this morning, do you remember what they talked about? I would say, no, I have no idea, no clue. Mm -hmm. And and so, the, the, so the, what I'm suggesting is that, uh, you know, that people that uh, may have been exposed to trauma or something like that uh, would likely uh, be able to become more effective in the normal learning system if there was more thought given to the effects of trauma and learning, you know, so. Yeah. Well, the reason I but ask not, that. I'm not a doc, you know, so. Right, absolutely. 
the reason I ask that is because this was my next question for you, but I just got sparked in, in my mind with that. But my next question was with, do you believe that hardship or trauma or things that we've been through in our, in our life that we've overcome builds a certain characteristic of resiliency in people that they can't necessarily get through other means, uh, except having to go through that hardship, building that type of resiliency. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I believe that is the case. Uh, unless at, at is, you have to be able to somehow reconcile it in your mind. That doesn't mean you eliminate it, but that you can, uh, that during the period where you're still trying to deal with it, it makes it difficult. But at some point in life, you have to be able to reconcile it in order to have a sense of, okay, I, I know it's there, but I can go beyond it. And I believe that is extremely important. Uh, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, if I look back for myself, that uh, I still have features that uh, uh, go back to that period. Uh, you know, I always lock my doors. I'm always uh, worried about things. I'm always trying to uh, understand the environment that I'm in. And, uh, you know, and I still feel from time and time the hunger and, uh, and, and cold somehow in a strange way, uh, you know, that soon as things get, and, and I don't even have gloves and it gets dirty below here. I don't, but I still get the feeling of cold and, and, uh, you know, and then to a certain extent, the anxiety and then the hunger and then trauma to a certain extent that, uh, seeing dead bodies and, uh, you know, people being shot. Uh, you know, and, and far too much of that always in a way stays with you. And that's likely one of the reasons that I feel I have the obligation to speak whenever the opportunity presents itself, and especially to young people, as to say, why do we have the two minutes of silence? Why is it so important to remember that? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so... And, uh, you know, and, and that's why I do that, you know, so, and, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, so the, the answer to your question is the trauma does it stay with you. I believe it does, uh, you know, but do you reconcile it? That's the important part. And if you don't, like I got counseling for the inner child in my late fifties, very, very, very emotional. You know, so, uh, and, and then uh, PTSD, I'm not exactly sure if you get past that in the sense that you can reconcile it, you become aware of it. I didn't fear it necessarily, but uh, I know it's always kind of there in a way. Mm, yeah. Wow. That's, you know, I, I think about these things a lot. I know, I think everybody goes through trauma. But I definitely believe that some people's is worse. Of course, we live on perception as well. So it depends on how we perceive that trauma as well. But um, I don't know that hearing your story, I don't know how well we can relate. I do think it's very important for us to like 
get a good understanding of this um, and to have empathy because we do live in a time right now where things are happening in our world where I feel like a lot of times we want to just put it out of sight, out of mind. And it takes someone like you reminding us that these things are happening and that, that people, families are being really impacted on a, on a huge scale. So I think, I think what you're doing is persons, right? You know, the, it, it stays with them. You know, the farming years, a lot of times are in the first five, six, seven years of their mm -hmm. lives and uh, the environment that they are in and the, the closeness and the, the importance of that protection of their, you know, their parents mm -hmm. and loving environment, uh, you know, being uh, always in a sense of anxiety because of bombs falling or planes overhead where you pick up from the parent, that anxiety that exists. My mother used to take us outside on the flat roof on the back of the house, not to look at the planes, but she felt safer outside than inside. And all we saw overhead is hundreds and hundreds of planes, 350, 400 planes on the way to Germany. And if you kind of mentally see Holland, Northeastern Holland, is about 20 minutes from the border. We could see in the distance, Bremen, Kiel, uh, Hamburg, and all of those things in the distance being on fire, uh, you know, it's, uh, and planes coming back and shooting and all of that sort of thing, uh, you know, the uh, has an impact on you. If you have someone, they have a lot of childhood trauma, what would be your best advice for that person? Again, not being a qualified individual uh, in a professional way, but in a personal way, find comfort with others in similar ways. And uh, the second one is get professionals to help you work through that. So not to forget, but that you can find a way to reconcile it in terms of your past and that you don't live with it on a day-to-day -day basis. And that you find that in people that have been there and are there and, uh, and then getting the professional help to kind of help you work through that so that you can not forget about it, but still have it there, but uh, get to, as close to a sense of normality as you can. And the more you can appreciate what's happening in, in life in a general way, how, how lucky we are in North America. And then, uh, you know, so the other thing that I did here is that uh, coming from Europe is that the day of the invasion by uh, the Russians of the Ukraine, <laughs> you know, the if you were at my mill here, you will see uh, a couple of flags out here, one for BC, one for Canada. <laughs> I said, I need, a, I, I said to my, my people here, get me a Ukrainian flag because I want to hang it up. And I couldn't find one in nowhere. And they said, well, it will take two weeks. I said, I, am, I don't have time to wait. So I went to a store here that sells uh, 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 the, the, the colors that I need, blue and, 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 uh, and yellow. So I got one made. We got about four or five made. And we hang them up the same day they invaded. You know, so 
that was important to me. Why so? To just make a point, having the flags yeah. there. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. I don't believe in war, period. And, and I, I troubles me in a lot of times that, you know, what I see, I'm not being in judgment, uh, you know, this is not the place, the time to do that. But, uh, you know, that, you know, the wars are destructive. And a lot of times, if I look around the world, I'm going to be so free to say that if I look at North Korea, Kim, I look at Putin, I look at uh, Iran, I look at uh, uh, other places like that, uh, you know, uh, Hitler fits in that category, and where singular individuals have been able to drive countries into and, and others into devastation. And I say, why? Mm-hmm. Why do we, why do we tolerate that? You know, so, uh, and, uh, you know, so it's, uh, very, very troubling. And, uh, you know, and, and then a lot of innocent people, but in particular generations of young people will be affected by it for generations to come. There's as well as others that, uh, are trying to deal with that, uh, not only is the loss of life, but all the other things that uh, have been destructive to the things that are so important to us. So what would be your advice for someone like myself who, um, you know, obviously I, I'm very empathetic. I, I have a lot of, um, you know, I, I don't like seeing the things that's happening in our world. And I, I do believe that you can make a difference um, by taking action, but in this regard, especially, you know, pertaining to war, how do you have any advice for what we do is just as a population, just as individuals speak out or is there other things that we can do? I speak out in terms of that, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, the, uh, war is bad. There are never winners in wars. And, uh, you know, so, uh, I believe that, uh, but I will say that uh, uh, all the time. Uh, I'm proactive in the sense that's why I'm podcasting. It's not solely for that purpose, but, uh, you know, I don't shy away from that. Uh, I'm very open about, uh, you know, my background uh, growing up in war uh, and getting that message out. And if I look around the world, be lucky in North America, not so sure that we always fully appreciate it. Uh, you know, but we have a democratic system, uh, you know, where the dictatorships like uh, uh, North Korea, uh, you know, then, uh, you know, Russia, China, uh, Iran, those kind of places, uh, you know, that uh, are pure dictatorships, uh, you know, is not healthy. And, uh, you know, but at least so far, we are very, very lucky. And in Canada, maybe a little bit different than not getting into politics here, but Canada is very boring because we have uh, uh, the, the premier, uh, the, the president, uh, or, uh, you know, Trudeau, uh, you know, is, uh, could be thrown out of office, uh, you know, tomorrow for all intents and purposes, and then we elect somebody else. So it doesn't rise to the same level as it does uh, in the, the states, where we have the Congress and the Senate, and then obviously the Supreme Court, and then the White House, and uh, they could, uh, uh, you know, that uh, 
it becomes to say the least interesting. So we watching uh, with full interest as to what happens in November uh, this year when the official re-elections take place and in particular the elections in November of uh, 2024 as to who will be uh, the president of the United States because it affects us all. And uh, mm -hmm. and uh, so and I watch it very, very, very closely. And, and yeah. so what I'm saying to answer is, uh, Amber, is that uh, be free, uh, you know, be willing to speak out about it. Uh, you know, uh, not, not necessarily politics is always delicate, uh, you know, but uh, at least in the general sense that, uh, you know, that we are extremely lucky to what we have on both sides in North America. And, uh, and, and I bet if the opportunity presents itself, I'm fairly vocal about that. I love what you're doing. I love that you're training up entrepreneurs. I believe that entrepreneurs have the power to really make a difference in the world because there's one, I think they're, they're, they're leaders. Obviously you have to be, you have to have some leadership ability to run a business or to run a company. And uh, so I think there's leadership ability. And I think that having that, I don't know the word you would use here, but almost like autonomy or like you're not under any other system to where you have control of your money and you have control of your time and you have a voice. I, I truly believe that entrepreneurship is powerful. And uh, I think for someone like yourself who has gone through some of the worst trauma and has rose above and now you're not only very successful in your businesses, but you're training up other entrepreneurs and you're making a big difference in your podcast and in just in your voice. And, uh, I think, you know, when you told me that you're 80, was it 83? You told me you're, you're 83 today, tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Yeah. which, um, you don't look, you don't look that age. So I think it's definitely when you have purpose, you, it builds longevity to your life. I truly feel <laughs> so. And you're, a, I think a living walking example of that. So, I just want to thank you so much, but before we close up, I just want to ask, is there any other like closing remarks or anything else that you'd like to leave our audience with? I would say, uh, Amber, uh, and a thank you for those kind remarks is that I'm a businessman. That means that I have to sometimes, and a lot of times I have to be hard uh, and tough, you know, but I always have respect. And I would say respect. The other thing that I would say is very, very important for others and uh you know and then the other part is that i respect anybody no matter what their religion is their pre uh, sexual preferences and all the other things i will all respect them and then in a general sense i say far too often people are critical of themselves and saying i this doesn't look good that doesn't look good or i'm not good enough and say don't uh, every individual is unique and special as to who they are. Hmm. I agree. I agree with you 100%. And it's up to us to kind of find who we are so that we can use our gifts for exactly. what we're exactly. put here for. John, thank you so much. You have been amazing. Thank you for going into detail about your story and just for having the courage to share that with so many people on your podcast and in your books. And I just thank you so much 
for you coming here today and sharing with us. Thanks, Amber. And let's stay in touch. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for listening to Through the Trauma Podcast. If you have found value in this episode or believe in the mission behind what we are doing, please subscribe so that you never miss any future episodes. Also, be sure to check out our transformation project at transformationthroughtraumaproject.com, where we help inspirational stories get heard on a larger scale through multiple platforms. If you know someone who can benefit from this episode, please share it with them. Until next time.